Hello and welcome to Life After Sunday, a podcast ministry of Sunnyvale First Baptist Church. We are so excited that you have joined us again for another fabulous episode. Aaron, how are you doing today? Doing good. I'm ready for these uh, more Bible questions for uh, Dr. Biles. And it seems like, Dr. Biles, this has kind of been a thing now. You did this yesterday upon recording this today. And yeah, spiraled I, into a... I've been getting a lot of questions. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but I'm getting a lot of questions. Are they questioning the Bible or are they questioning you? Most, That's the question, right? A little right? both, but I yeah. think most of them are Bible. Yeah. As long as there's no waterboarding, I it's, guess we're fine. It's kind of like when we were asking questions of uh, Brian, our new music minister, mm-hmm. on the uh, one of the previous episodes. It's like, we know you already have the job, but we still want to ask you the question. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I would like to note that Brian got two minutes on the program yesterday, and I had like 58 minutes, and I felt like maybe that should have been 30-30. I, don't, I, I feel like I've got the short end of that, but that's all right. Well, we are so excited that you've joined us again for another Bible Q&A. We had such a good time and had so many leftover questions. So we decided to just, you know what, let's break it down and do a few more. So Aaron, start with the first question. All right. So first we want to ask, well, what is the importance of Christian baptism? You know, this is such an important question. And the more I thought about this question, I really came to the, the, the thought we, we could spend an entire podcast and longer just mm-hmm. on this question alone, because it mm-hmm. is so pivotal to the Christian life, to the ministry of the church, to the structure of the church. When you think about baptism, I I wonder if sometimes we have really undervalued baptism, its importance, its significance. So let me talk a little bit about baptism, and then I want to talk about some of the critical issues related to it. First of all, whenever I talk with someone about baptism, I want to first talk about the more important aspect of the question, and that is the nature of one's personal relationship with Christ. So before I want to talk to someone about baptism, the importance of baptism, being baptized, I want to talk to them about why do you want to be baptized? And the only valid answer to that question is because of my personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, and I want to follow that up in baptism. That's where I want that to begin. So I I say to people, the most important decision you'll ever make in your life is your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Having said that, baptism may be the most tangible experience of our Christian walk. Mm. Uh, A lot of people will remember the moment of conversion. Some people can give you dates, moment. Mm -hmm. Others can give you a range. I, I remember a season, and, and that's, you know, that's not unusual for people maybe not to have the moment of conversion in their mind, but most people can tell you about their baptism. Right. Mm. They can tell you, they can remember the, the feeling of the water. They can remember the, the congregation that's there because it is so meaningful, so tangible. Mm. So we recognize baptism's significance, but also put it in perspective in the nature of the conversation. Baptism does not save us. We are not baptized to be saved. We are baptized because we have been saved. We are saved by grace through faith. So one can uh, have a personal relationship with God uh, and not be baptized. All right, so Jesus to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise, essentially promising him eternity in heaven, mm-hmm. having never been baptized. Okay, you don't point. have to be baptized to be he saved. He didn't get baptized. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> he didn't have time. Yeah, you don't a little have busy. To be, <laughs> doing something else. You don't have to be baptized <laughs> to be saved. You do have to be baptized to be obedient. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's the important part about what I want to talk about is, is just the, the value 
of baptism. Baptism's in our name as a denomination. Right. We are Sunnyvale First Baptist Church. We're part of the Southern Baptist Convention. Mm-hmm. It's in our name. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, that's a parallel conversation about name changes in the denominations, maybe one for another day. But I will say to you, I'm very proud of our name. Absolutely. I'm proud of every part of our name. Uh, when you think about Sunnyvale First Baptist Church, I, I like all parts of that mm-hmm. name, and I'm very proud of it. Uh, and, and this part about baptism speaks to not just our theology, and it does, it speaks to our heritage, mm-hmm. the, the, uh, where we've come from as a denomination, as a people of faith, but it also speaks to some very pragmatic issues. You'll sometimes hear the phrase in Southern Baptist life, like faith and order. It's in a lot of Constitution bylaws in ours. And uh, when someone comes uh, to unite with a church from another denomination, mm-hmm. uh, usually you'll see a phrase, um, you know, was that denomination of like faith and order? And we mm. use that phrase so often, uh, we, we sometimes aren't really sure what that means, but here's what it means. Faith is the nature of conversion, saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. Order is the mode of their baptism. So essentially what we're saying is we will not receive into membership anyone who was baptized by a different means than immersion. Right. So that's what we talk about, the, the, the value. We are Baptist because of how we baptize. That's, mm-hmm. yeah. um, so, you know, John the Baptist was not our forerunner, but he is certainly <laughs> a picture. Uh, you know, I, 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 I sometimes hear the phrase John the Baptizer, which is probably a better description of him. Mm-hmm, right. But we're Baptists because of how we practice mm-hmm. baptism. That's, that's really where the conversation begins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a whole interesting and complicated history behind the Baptist movement and starting it overseas and how that happened and how they got here. And it's a... It's, it's it's good reading. You don't need to watch TV for a while. Just read some Baptist history. It's, it's, it's good stuff. <laughs> it's you good know, stuff. a lot of times in baptism, you will hear someone say, and this is a phrase that I typically use, in obedience to the command of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. I baptize you, and I might say their name. I might say my brother in the Lord or my sister in the Lord, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right, what, what does that mean? Well, it comes from the Great Commission. So in Matthew 28, Jesus says, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth. Go, make disciples. That's the conversion part of that. Make disciples mm-hmm. of all nations. That's, that involves more than just conversion, but that's certainly implying the mm-hmm. practice of conversion. Make disciples, baptize. So there's our two important critical issues. Mm-hmm. We make disciples, we baptize. Those are the issues and the order. Mm-hmm, so right. we make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's mm-hmm. the Trinitarian aspect of, of our faith. So baptism then is out of that obedience mm-hmm. uh, and out of that imperative, that that command. So it's important. Um, when you look particularly at the New Testament letters, I'm thinking about Romans chapter 6 or 1 Corinthians 1 or Galatians 3 or Ephesians 4, Colossians 2, you see baptism not just normative in the early church, but imperative 
in, in their fellowship and in their practice. You also see in a number of places, particularly in Acts and the growth of the early church, mm-hmm. baptism follows conversion. Right. So that's the that's where this conversation at least begins. Yeah, and in Acts two, the spirit falls. They because they profess faith in the gospel, and then like they just the scene is. If you've been there in Israel, the scene where Peter preaches that sermon, and then there's just tubs down there. Essentially, they just they all kind of walk in, get baptized, and come out. And there's yep. three thousand of them that's that right. are doing that that at that time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you're right. Conversion, and then and then baptism, and following obedience. So let me let me address two related questions to that. One, why is baptism important? Mm-hmm. Two. Why immersion? Mm. Uh, I, I think was, those maybe are two related yeah, yeah. questions. That's, yes. And that's what I was going to follow up with you because, you know, it's, oh, my baby was baptized, you know, in the Catholic faith and things like that. But explain, yeah. Or Presbyterian. Talk, and they have, yeah, yeah, the sprinkling or whatever. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, let's yeah. talk yeah. a little bit as well about the importance of immersion as, as opposed to just um, a little sprinkling. Well, let me, let me run through the, both of those issues because it occurs to me that um, there may be somebody right now listening to this podcast who has a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, but they have never been baptized, Mm -hmm. or they have never been scripturally baptized. And I'm going to explain that in just a minute. Um, Again, the most important decision is your personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. However, I believe, and I think the scripture substantiates, baptism is the first step of obedience for a new believer. And so I, uh, I believe in the, the, the important significance of baptism for a Christian. So let me give you four reasons very quickly, and, and we don't have time to run through all the Bible verses that I have related to those, but uh, you may want to write these down, and I'll be happy to send these to anyone who may have questions. Number one, baptism is important out of obedience to Christ. We're baptized in His name following his pattern because, in fact, he himself was baptized, and we're following what is the command of Scripture, make disciples, baptize. So we're baptized out of obedience to Christ. Number two, we're baptized in identification with Christ. So several passages in the New Testament, Matthew 3, 13 through 17, Acts 2, the passage you were just referring to, Mm. Romans chapter 6, 3, and 4 talk about we're baptized identifying with Christ. So we are publicly declaring our identity in Christ. Number three, it's a public witness of our faith. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 10, verse 32. It's an outward act, sign of an inward faith. And so we're, we're a witness uh, of and for Christ. And then number four, it's an identification with the church. Uh, again, in Acts chapter 2 and Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4, we are publicly identifying with the body of Christ. And because of that, in our Southern Baptist context, it is the process by which one becomes a member of a Southern Baptist church. Mm-hmm. So uh, there are many other reasons why one uh, might want to or should be baptized, but those, obedience to Christ, identification with Christ, public witness of our faith, identification with the church, those for me are the most significant reasons of why someone mm-hmm. might want to be baptized. Mm-hmm. So let me let me address one final thought, and then, and then we can talk about uh, uh, baptism, or we can talk about any other aspect of this. We practice baptism by a particular 
means. Mm-hmm. Okay? We baptize by immersion. And, and I want to be real careful. I'm not disparaging any other denominational practice. Sure. Um, I am going to say to you, and I think I can defend it in several different ways, baptism by immersion is the scriptural mode of right. baptism. Mm. Um, so why do we baptize by immersion? Number one, it's the meaning of the word. Right. I, 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 I am typically something of a linguist. I believe in the importance of words. Mm-hmm. I try to be careful how I use words because words mean things. Mm. And when we talk about baptism, there really isn't any confusion on what the word means. It means to dunk. Mm-hmm. It means to dip. It means to immerse. Right. That is what the word means. Uh, and so I start there. That's not my most important aspect of this conversation, but it is significant. Mm-hmm. That is what the word means. Right. Uh, number two, it is the process means by which Jesus was baptized. So when right. I identify mm-hmm. with Christ, I, in some sense, want to follow the pattern Right, and that's a good point that I never thought about. If we want to be like Christ, we want to follow Christ, why wouldn't we want to be baptized like Christ was? And it's very clear in the picture when you see Jesus immersed, coming out of the water, and that that vivid picture with the descending of the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove, uh, it's it's just a, uh, a wonderful picture of his practice. Number three, it was the practice of the early, of the early church. Mm-hmm. You find it throughout the New Testament. Uh, you find it in the history of the church. Very candidly, there is no evidence in Scripture of infant baptism or any other mode of baptism. Right. Uh, so that's significant. And then finally, it's the picture mm-hmm. of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That is the that is the metaphor that is taking place. Mm-hmm. Okay? It's the reason I don't baptize forward. It's the reason I don't baptize straight down, as though you just dunk straight down and their head mm-hmm. goes under. The reason I don't do that is because that's not how you bury someone. Right. I don't bury someone standing up, and I don't bury them face down. Right. W.A. Criswell used to talk about baptism. Uh, he said when you lay someone in the ground, you don't drop them. Right. Uh, and so he said, so when you, when you lay someone in the water, there shouldn't be a whole lot of ripple mm. because burial is, is reverent. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, resurrection right. is, is emotional. It's violent. Mm. It's right. celebratory. So I don't mind a wake. I don't mind a wave. <laughs> I don't mind the water yeah. rushing when they come out yeah. because when they come out of the water, listen, what we're doing is we're celebrating right. resurrection. Yeah. That's kind of like the, the old hymn, Up from the Grave He Arose. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. And so there is there is that moment of, of, yeah, it's a symbol, but what am I symbolizing? Jesus died, he was buried, right. and he came back. Right. Mm-hmm. It's a symbol. That's, that's why immersion is important to me. Yeah. 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 What, do, what do we think about, what, like you said, without disparaging any other denominational uh, practice or belief, but well, I've, I've had a lot of conversation with some Lutherans lately and their process of convocation. And um, and then being baptized from there, I think that's how they do it. Is um, a, a, ch- a child or you know what, or someone professes faith, and they go through certain like spiritual development aspects of training and mm-hmm. and discipleship and things like that from the church. Mm-hmm. And then upon there, usually it's like graduating high school is kind of how they do what I've seen the youth group do before. And they'll they'll be convocated. I don't know like what that 
what the whole all those terms are. Um, but then they'll essentially they're oh confer- confirmation, confirmation, not convocation, confirmation. That's what I meant. They'll be confirmed. Their faith is confirmed, and then they're baptized, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Sometimes you'll see it uh, one of two ways. M- many Lutherans baptize infants, mm-hmm. uh, hmm. and um, uh, as do a number of other denominations. Um, and and part of that practice is oh um, that's what it is uh, yeah part of that practice is the child is uh, um, under the the influence of the parents' faith. So Martin mm-hmm. Luther Lutheran uh, did believe in and teach and practice immersion, as did many of the early church fathers. Confirmation then is confirming their faith. So mm-hmm. right. I, I love the practice of discipleship, which is what that is intended to be. Mm-hmm. Right. It is a lifetime practice of discipleship un- up until the time that child confirms his or her faith. Yeah. Uh, and then now it's, bec- now it's my faith. Right. Um, yeah, that's and, right. And so that's I do, I do value that many of them are baptized mm-hmm. later. Um, right. um, but, but the idea behind that was they're baptized as, as, as infants, through the faith of mom and dad. Through the faith of their parents. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. And then confirmed on their own faith. Uh, in theory, I like yeah. the practice. Uh, I like so it's the idea. maybe, uh, I'm sorry to, to interrupt, but it's it's maybe more of a, just like we do a baby dedication, it's kind of their version of a baby dedication. Same kind of thing. Kind yeah. of. But then you get into the complications of the nuances of right. the ordinance of right. baptism. Right. Right. Oh, it's the baptism under ordinance, but still. Yeah, and it, and it all grows out of the question of the faith of that infant child right so yeah. parents yeah. who have lost children will 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 understand the, the the picture that i'm thinking on here uh what happens to an infant child who dies before he or she is mentally capable of making a decision to follow christ right okay so some of that in in, in, mm-hmm. in the practice of, of baptizing infants is addressing that question mm-hmm. it is it is committing my child to the Lord mm-hmm. until he or she is able to make that decision for, right. for himself or herself. Uh, in, in, in Baptist life, we talk about the age of accountability mm-hmm. right. when a child is capable of making that mm-hmm. conscious decision to follow yeah. Christ. And so, yeah, we, we dedicate children to the Lord. In that case, really, it's more parents yeah. right. exactly. who are being right. dedicated exactly in that right. moment, right. or at yeah. least jointly, because it is their faith committing to raise their children in Christ. That's right. Absolutely. Well, as you said, we could go on and on and on and have a complete podcast on this, but we've got several other questions we want to ask as well. This next question is obviously something that is very uh, close to my family, and that is the subject of suicide. What is a Christian view of suicide, and uh, what does the Bible say about suicide, and what about a believer who commits suicide? Yeah, this this is this is an important. It's a complicated. It's a sensitive question, and very candidly, many people in the church, whether they talk about it publicly or not, mm-hmm. have either been impacted by mm-hmm. someone who has committed suicide, or frankly, may have had thoughts themselves. Mm-hmm. It's an uncomfortable question. Uh, that we don't like to ask because we don't really want the answer. Right. If you ever ask in a public gathering, have you ever had thoughts of harming yourself? Mm-hmm. And when you when you phrase it kind of like that, you realize it's a common mm-hmm. fear, temptation mm-hmm. that, that people have. And the Bible does 
talk about some instances of suicide. It does not particularly talk a lot about mm-hmm. suicide itself. Mm-hmm. But there are a number of individuals in the Bible who ended their lives. Uh, the circumstances were different in mm-hmm. each case. But let me just give some names. Some of these, you, most of these you'll know. One or two of them you may not be as familiar with. But think about Samson. Mm-hmm. And I, I had an interesting conversation with someone not too long ago about the, the occasion of Samson's death. Was it suicide or was it an act of war? Well, he did kill a lot of Philistines in his death. Yeah. Uh, right. um, but however you want to phrase it, he did end his own life mm-hmm. by his own hands. And so we think about Samson. We think about King Saul. Mm-hmm. We, on Wednesday nights, are studying through the life of David, which is such a fascinating, convicting, mm-hmm. interesting study. And, and the circumstances around Saul's death are so confusing as you get to the last chapter of 1 Samuel and the first chapter of 2 Samuel. Mm-hmm. You have two different accounts of Saul's death. How did mm-hmm. he die? The end of 1 Samuel, he died. First of all, he's, he's injured, apparently mortally, in the battle, mm-hmm. but not mm-hmm. dead. Mm-hmm. Right. And tries to get his armor bearer to take his life so that the Philistines can't say they killed him. Armor bearer's not going to do that. Uh, and so he takes his life. And and so when you get to the end of 1 Samuel 31, Saul's apparently dead right. by his own hand. And his armor bearer who sees that falls on his own sword, so he commits suicide. Right. And then when you get to 2 Samuel 1, you have a different story mm-hmm. from, uh, from uh, a young man who came and, and trying to, I think, curry favor from David and and professes to actually have ended Saul's life himself. I don't think that's true. I think he's telling a story to try to to try to get favor from the new king. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just a fascinating story. I, I, th- I think the, the Bible does teach that Saul committed suicide, as did his armor bearer. Uh, you have a story in 2 Samuel 17 of a man named Ahithophel, who was at one time one of David's counselors. Uh, interestingly, he's probably Bathsheba's grandfather. And uh, there came a time when Ahithophel sided with in this case, Absalom, someone who was revolting against David. And uh, through a course of wise and fascinating events, David, through a friend, convinces uh, or works through the circumstance so that Ahithophel's advice is not taken. Mm -hmm. And he is so distraught uh, that his counsel wasn't taken, he took his own life. Zimri was a king in Israel in 1 Kings 16, uh, who reigned as king for seven days. So he has a really brief reign uh, and ends tragically by his own hand. Judas, who betrayed Mm -hmm. Jesus in Matthew 27, verse 5, took his own life. Uh, And then you have a judge named Abimelech in Judges chapter 9, uh, a passage that is um, strikingly similar to the death of Saul, King Saul in, in 1 Samuel 31, where he is mortally injured in battle mm-hmm. and turns to his armor bearer. Uh, he's apparently about to die and turns to his armor bearer and asks his armor bearer to kill him. And so in this case, it's probably an occasion of assisted suicide because his mm-hmm. armor bearer did kill him. Mm-hmm. And so he's mortally wounded and then he had someone take his life for him. Mm-hmm. Whether or not he's capable of doing that is, is arguable in the story. Um, but it's it's part of the fascination of that conversation, the awkwardness mm-hmm. of, of ending one's life. Um, 
And so let me let me draw this to to sort of an, a, a point of application. Um, suicide is a form of 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 killing. It's a form of murder, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, in that sense, I believe it to be sinful. Right. Having said that, there is no work means that I do to gain salvation, so that there so there is also no work that I can do to lose, lose it. salvation. Right. So I'm saved by grace through faith in Christ. So not of my works, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. So I'm not saved by works. I don't lose myself. First of all, I don't believe you lose your salvation. But I can't do anything to lose that which God in Christ gave Mm -hmm. to me. So having said that, uh, if one believes suicide is a sin, and I do, does suicide condemn one to hell? The answer to that is no. Number one, the Bible doesn't teach that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know some people believe that. Um, and, and some people have a strange classification of sins, hierarchy of sins, if they right. talk about mortal and venial sins. Uh, and, and some even advocate that certain sins, including suicide, are mortal sins that condemn mm-hmm. one to hell. Uh, that's a dangerous, unscriptural, I believe, aberrant teaching from Scripture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what it conveys, frankly, is that God gets so mad at certain sins that he's going to say you can't enter into heaven because of that sin, right? And and it's 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 very problematic theologically and in every other means when you think about uh, when you think about that. Is it possible that any believer dies with unconfessed sin? I think that's highly probable. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. And and so are we are we are we going to say then well this sin is so egregious mm-hmm. god can't forgive mm-hmm. that that's just mm-hmm. not biblical i do right. believe there is an unpardonable sin and i believe that is persisting unto death in disobedience to christ as mm-hmm. in not receiving grace through christ in, in other words refusing to accept salvation that's unpardonable mm-hmm. but there is no act that i can ever commit that god can't and for a believer hasn't already forgiven in Christ. Well, and you make a very good point about, I mean, it, it practically probably happens every day that people die with unconfessed sin. You're driving down the road, you get into a car wreck and you're killed. Yep. Um, you think about some of these active terrorisms that we've had, you know, 9-11, you know, plane crashes and things like that. I mean, you don't, there, there are just people that die without, you yeah. know. Oh, wait! I got to don't, don't, don't take me yet. I need to confess my sins. Right. And so, how is that any different? And it's not. Yeah, I mean, even in the Old Testament, God writes in the law a sacrifice for the people that's made for unintentional sins, mm-hmm. sins that, that were unintended mm-hmm. or sins mm-hmm. that don't even know that they mm-hmm. are committing. Right. Um, because there's just so much that is we would call like an offense to God <laughs> that we don't even realize sometimes that we're doing it because mm-hmm. of just our nature, mm-hmm. and, and for and so to die. Die mm. in the midst of not even knowing that there were sins we have committed that were offense to God. Yeah. That it, like to, to say that God would not mm. have already mm. had foreseen those things or known those things were going to mm. happen, and then to say, well, if you if you don't have those things confessed, then when you die, you're going to, to me. That's like yep. for me, the, the question is always back at those individuals. Well, how small is mm. your that's a good God? And what kind of box do you put him mm. in that he can't do certain things? You know, let me let me let me address one more aspect of this conversation and and say, I believe the Bible clearly teaches life is a gift from God. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, 
it's 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 part of the core value that we have as believers, as students of the Bible, life, all life, parenthetically, regardless of the circumstances of how life came about. Life's a gift from God. God gave mm-hmm. life. Only God has the authority to take life. Mm-hmm. Uh, but right. but let me let me just let me just pause for a second and talk to somebody out there who's listening to this and and you're going through an intense struggle. You're going through unspeakable grief. You're going through sorrow. You've got questions, and you're you're frankly out of options. And you're wondering what value is the continuation of my life. Uh, l- let me just say to you, first of all, God loves you. God created you. God gave you life and wants for you to have abundant life, not just in eternity. That's that's true. God does want you to have eternal life in heaven. God also wants you to have abundant life now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so I would say to you, someone going through that kind of grief, that kind of trauma, number one, turn to God. God loves you. God understands. Even mm-hmm. if no one else can or no one else knows, God knows. Mm-hmm. Number two, the church is there. Mm-hmm to be a agent of comfort. Uh, we're reading through the Bible every morning, and, and uh, uh, right now we're reading through the book of 2 Corinthians. And, and Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, as believers, we comfort others with the comfort by which we ourselves have been comforted mm-hmm. by God. Right. Yeah. And that's what we do in the church. We comfort people. And so I would say to you, Look to other believers. Look to the church. Find someone who can pray with you. Find someone who can encourage you. Find a pastor. Find a leader. Find a staff member. Find a Sunday school teacher. Find mm-hmm. a believer that mm-hmm. you know who, who, who will, without judgment, pray with you, hold you accountable, read scripture mm-hmm. with you. Uh, that's why we're here. Uh, I, I find it both dangerous and sad that so often in the times when we most need the church— we turn away from the believers, right. the body right. of Christ. No, this is the moment when you need the church. This is the moment where you need to be in Sunday school and church. This is the time where you need to be reading your Bible and praying. This is the time where you need the fellowship and the accountability of other believers. And mm. so I would say to somebody uh, who, who's maybe walking through a time of deep sorrow, maybe if no one else understands, God understands. Right. Uh, and, and maybe other believers can never understand what you're walking through, but they will walk through it with you. Right. Yeah. It's just like we mentioned a few episodes ago. I think it was when we had Denise Howell on and we were talking about the importance of the church. There are people, I guarantee there are people in the church that have been through what you're going through. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, whether it's suicide, whether it's the loss of, uh, of a, uh, you know, through grief or whatever it is, the church, there are people there that can help you mm-hmm. uh, and get you through that period of time. Okay, so for our last question, um, this is one that was sent in from a family member of mine and something that they would like some clarification on. Uh, so this is going to be uh, fun. Um, so I know the circumstances revolving all around this question, so <laughs> this will be a fun conversation. Um, but so uh, th- there's a term or concept that some have deemed as called righteous lying. Mm-hmm. And so some Christians consider this biblically okay, um, even when dealing with other believers. And so the scripture reference is Joshua 2 with Rahab lying to two spies during the conquest of Jericho. And so it, so uh, the, the the big overall question is: Was it sinful for Rahab to lie, and did she actually lie at all? All right. Well, let's 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 walk through several aspects of this. And, mm-hmm. and first of all, let me let me parse out the subtle humor behind your question. <laughs> um, your spouse comes to you, and they have 
uh, a new outfit. Your wife has a new dress. Your husband <laughs> oh, no. has a new suit. <laughs> Does this dress make me look pretty? Does this dress make me look fat? Does this suit make me look handsome? And and you're caught in a in a quandary right there. Do I lie <laughs> oh, to my it. spouse? Uh, that's that's really more of a different part of this question. I want to get to the subtle part of, I mean, the, the, the theological implications of your question. Let's, let's first of all, be very candid. Mm-hmm. There are people in scripture, some of whom, including Rahab that you just mentioned, were even lauded, praised for other aspects of faith in their lives. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll talk about two or three, four, but very obviously lied as part of that process. So how do you substantiate that? Let me give you a couple of examples. Uh, you mentioned Rahab, and, and, and she's a very obvious example that uh, when, when the children of Israel are coming into the promised land and the spies are, are there at her home, and, and she very obviously lies. And then oddly enough, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, she is pictured as a woman of faith. Uh, think about some others. Do you remember the Hebrew midwives named Shifra and Puah when the Pharaoh uh, gave the decree for all the Hebrew babies, uh, uh, boys rather, to be murdered mm. and commanded them, when these Hebrew women give birth to a boy, you execute that boy. And they didn't, and frankly made up a story uh, to lie about it, and were praised in Scripture. Mm. Uh, Think about Michael, David's first wife, Saul's daughter. When Saul was uh, making efforts to kill David, on one of those occasions, David fled to his own home, and uh, Michael warned him, Dad's trying to kill you, you better crawl out the window. He did. And awkwardly, uncomfortably, she found an idol in their home. What the idol is doing there, the Bible doesn't say, but there's an idol in their home. She puts it in the bed, puts some goat hair, looked like David's asleep, (laughs) covers it up with a blanket, and says when the soldiers came by to execute David, Mm -hmm. and apparently came into the bedroom, going to kill him in his bed. Well, he's he's there, and he's sick, uh, and and she just flat lied to, Mm -hmm. to protect David. Uh, think about a woman named J.L., uh, also in the Judges, uh, in Judges chapter 4 and Judges chapter 5, where Deborah was the judge. And uh, uh, there's a fascinating time. It is in a moment of, it is in a season of war. And uh, J.L. Uh, actually executes a man named Jabin, part of the opposing army. Uh, he flees to her tent for refuge. She woos him in, gives him some milk. Uh, he lays down on uh, on the ground in her tent. She covers him up. And when he goes to sleep, she took a, took a tent peg and hammers it through his temple and kills him and then goes out and, and tells everybody what she did. <laughs> and then Deborah sang a song about her in, in chapter 5. Uh, and she's somewhat praised for that. And then David, who lied on more than one occasion, mm. but, but in particular to Akish uh, of the Philistines, mm, mm-hmm. he lied right. several times, but in particular in 1 Samuel 27. Uh, and then we, of course, know David as, as the Bible describes him, a man after God's heart. And so there are others who who lied, um, and so the question is, does a good outcome justify a wrong action? And I know people will sometimes 
talk about righteous lying. They will sometimes talk about greater and lesser sins. I'm just going to be very candid with you. I'm uncomfortable with those conversations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Deceit is deceit, regardless of the reasons for doing it. Um, I will say to you, in all of those occasions and others in the Scripture, all of them had other alternatives. They had other options than lying. Mm. God never requires you to sin to accomplish his purpose. Mm. Right. God's big enough to accomplish his purpose without me helping him by lying. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I will say to you, even if you lie for a good reason, that does not justify whatever spiritual purpose you have rationalized yeah. that with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will say to you, there may well be consequences for that. Mm-hmm. Uh and, and so I, uh, we don't get to pick and choose the parts of the Bible that we choose in this moment to obey or follow. Right. Uh, I don't want to pit one sin against another, uh, and, and, and I, I just struggle with the, the theological justification of committing one sin in order to avoid committing another. And, and uh, I, I will say... That regardless of the motivation, I think lying is a sin, mm-hmm. mm. and and I think uh, even if I had good reasons for it, mm-hmm. yeah, the, the the text in Joshua too is just such a. <laughs> it's always well, you know, Rahab lied, and you know the Israel or whatever, and I was like, look, she's also a Gentile prostitute. Is that how you want to like <laughs> model your life after as someone who does this? You know what I mean? And so. Of course, she came to faith in in Yahweh actually mm-hmm. before she, she before all that. But like you said, that doesn't mean that that there were, there were other avenues and there could have been another option. It doesn't mean that if she had told them where the the Jewish um, spies were, doesn't mean that 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 would have necessarily played out that they would have died. God could have intervened and done whatever He was sure. going to do in the first place. That's exactly right. But and, and when yeah. you look at the text in Hebrews eleven verse thirty one, because people will cite this, and and I will say to you, read the text carefully. Mm-hmm. Hebrews 11 does not praise her for lying. It praises her for her faith. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. uh, the, the faith a- in aspect of that is not her deceit. She is praised because she welcomed the spies. Mm-hmm. That was her act of faith. Right. Uh, lying was the act of deceit. Um, uh, so we're, we're not saying believers don't sin because you look at that list in Hebrews 11, okay, uh, and pretty much all of them committed sin. Mm-hmm. In their lives, right? Uh, so we're not saying you know Hebrews eleven is is, is a picture of a whole, a whole bunch of perfect people. That's not what the that mm-hmm. passage is about. It's about people of faith, right? Exactly. And she had faith. And so with the two spies, she, they she when they approach her, she tells them, "Oh, you're with the people of Yahweh that I've heard stories about that are coming into this land to do you know whatever they're about to do." And so her faith is the fact that she recognizes who Yahweh is and what these people and the, these men are with him. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, her, her act of faith that, uh, that frankly, saves her life. Right. Um, she wants to be on their side. But she also her the eternal power. life. Yeah, exactly. And that's, and, yeah. And that's, <laughs> the, that's the importance of that. It's yeah. that faith. Exactly. Well, Pastor, we really appreciate you coming on Thank and uh, answering these uh, further questions. If you do have any questions that you would like answered, uh, feel free to reach out to us via Facebook or contact the church or uh, whatever the means may be. We'd love to answer these questions. I know we'll look forward to doing this again. Mm-hmm. Any final questions, comments? Well, let me first of all say it's a delight to be with you again. Thank you mm-hmm. for the invitation. Uh, let me say to you, secondly, I love talking about the Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love 
trying to be available to answer any questions that anyone has. I freely admit I don't have all of the answers to every theological question one might have. Mm. Um, and, and so sometimes when you come up to me and ask me a question, you may hear me say, I don't know the answer <laughs> to that question. Uh, but I will also say to you, that's why God's given you his word. Right. So I want to encourage all of us to be good students of the Bible. Uh, It is my occupation, and I want to practice that, and I want to be a good student of God's Word. But I also want to encourage all of us to to have a regular practice of reading and studying God's Word because there's Mm -hmm. richness there. Right. Well, we appreciate it. We are blessed to have you as our pastor, blessed to have you on board and have you as a guest again. Once again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Life After Sunday. If what you have heard today has been helpful and encouraging to you, then please leave a review with five stars. If you'd also like to request future topics for discussion, then please email us at sfbclifeaftersunday at gmail.com. And now a word from Dr. Darren Biles, pastor of Sunnyvale First Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us for this podcast, Life After Sunday, a podcast ministry from Sunnyvale First Baptist Church. We are delighted that you have joined us today. I want to make a special invitation to you to come be our guest this coming Sunday or any Sunday at Sunnyvale First Baptist Church. Our address is 3018 North Beltline. We would be delighted for you, for your family to come worship with us our Sunday. Sunday morning Sunday school starts at 9 o'clock. Our worship service starts at 1030. We have Sunday school for all ages. We would love to meet you, have you a part of our church family. We'll look forward to seeing you. It is my honor to serve as the pastor, and I'll look forward to seeing you at Sunnyvale First Baptist Church. Life After Sunday is a podcast brought to you by Sunnyvale First Baptist Church. I'm Ed Petty along with Aaron Allen. Thanks for listening. Have a great week, and join us again next week on Life After Sunday.